Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff and I'm one of the leaders here. It's so great to see you all. Um, what I want to do today is I want to continue our study in the, the book of 1 Peter. If you brought a Bible with you, why don't you turn with me to 1 Peter. Um, we're going to read verses 13 through 25. And there's a, a lot to be said in these verses. And I, full confession, I, I just want you to know, I've, here's what I've done the last you know, five days or so. I've just read a lot. I've read a lot. I've prayed a lot. I considered what God wants to say. Um, in this passage, and, and then I just, I'm going to leave it up to him. Is, is that okay with you guys? I mean, I have an idea of something that I want to say, and I believe God will lead us to that point, but I, I more specifically believe that God is going to speak to each person here individually. I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many people would say they want to hear from God specifically today? Mary, I said, don't raise your hand. Yes, I think all of us do. And if I could be very serious for a moment, I think, I think some of you already feel it today. Um, I meet with a group of guys at 8 o'clock every Sunday. We pray for the service. We pray for you. You need it. We pray for me. I need it. And when we gathered this morning at 8 a.m., there's just this somberness, uh, a soberness that seems to be here today. I talked to some people in the band. They feel it too. Does anyone else feel it? Am I crazy? Just say I'm crazy and I'll move on. No, I think, and I, here's what I've learned and discerned over the last many years of, do, of doing ministry is that when this stuff happens to me, when I feel a bit unsettled, when I'm not 100% sure what's about to take place next, I believe God is in the middle of all that. And so I'm just, I'm just throwing this out there. So like if it feels like it gets a little weird today, um, okay, it's fine. It's fine for me. I, I just want it to be fine for you. Um, so that being said, um, let's, let's get ready to dive into the passage. And I want to just pick up a little bit where Pastor Joe was last week. If you were here last week, Pastor Joe talked about um, the, the trials that we as Christians face in our lives. And he talked about how many of these trials are, are varied in a sense that, that not each one of us will face the same trials, right? So what you're going through in your life might be different than what you're going through and versus what I'm going through. But we as Christians, we're going to face these various trials. And many of them have a relevancy to us that might not be to you. So for example, the big thing that you're going through might not be that big to me. I'm like, that's it? That's your big deal? But the big deal that I'm going through might not be a big deal to you. I have very real struggles. I know some of you do too. I have very real difficulties in my life. But I want to tell you right now, it pales in comparison to the young lady that I talked to today who showed up early for church today only to turn around and leave again because her, her brother is on life support 
in the ICU, and I think today's the day they decide to, here's her trial. I don't have gas money to get over there. Oh, my goodness. Do you feel it? And like all of the issues in my life just deflate out of, of, I'm like, that's nothing in comparison to what she's going through. And yet it still is to me. It's still, my issues hurt. My trials are difficult. So I'm, I'm saying these things because it would be easy for us to look at the, the difficulties in other people's lives and just discount what we're going through. But don't do that because the trials that God is leading us through, Paul is telling, or Peter is telling us, it's producing something in us. It's producing a faith in us, a precious faith. And that's what Joe spent time talking about last week. So if we just discount what we're going through because someone else is going through something more difficult, then we won't work through that and we won't find the faith in that. Is anyone following this? So I'm just saying this. Everybody's got difficult things going through, but don't discount your difficult thing because someone else has something else going on. Does that, does that make sense? And, and I want us to understand all this because I think what Peter is addressing as he writes in his introduction to this letter, right, to Christians scattered around and they're facing persecution because they're Christians, that, that there's this moment when we have to realize what God is doing through us, it must not, hear me, it must not cause us to, to sort of cloister ourselves into a shell when, when things get difficult to sort of hide out someplace because God does not intend that for us. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, he says this, that you have been called to be a light on a hill. And who lights a light and then puts a, a bowl over it? Hear me, your trials, the persecution that you and I will endure, it must be a beacon of hope for other people. We must not just get into this idea of self-preservation. I think about this often, especially this time of year. I don't know. Uh, I debated whether or not to say this, so I'm just going to say it. Is that okay? <laughs> is that okay? Yeah, I think it is. Um, well, here we go. <laughs> Ready or not. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, I don't know how to get into it. All right, let's just, okay. Haunted houses. Anyone? No, no we're all Christians in the room. I don't go to haunted houses. <laughs> you're right. You're right. For all of those people who go to haunted houses, right? So I, here's what I remember when I was younger going to haunted houses, and now my daughters are younger, and it's like a desire of theirs to go to haunted houses. I'm like, you can if you want to, but I don't know why you'd want to. But here's what happens when you go to haunted houses, especially when you go with a group of friends. There's a moment when you know something is looming around the corner, yes? It's pitch dark, and there's screaming happening around the corner. So you do what all people do in this moment. They grab the younger guy or the smallest guy and stick him out front. Right? And you push that guy. For, We're right with you, bro. We're right with you. But if someone's dying tonight, it's you, not me. See, I don't think God wants that for us in this life. I think he's actually filled us with the spirit that we might boldly go first. That we might boldly say, hey, this sucks for me right now. But I'm going to just live it out loud so everyone can see it and experience it too. And I think there's a purpose in that. I think it does a couple things, and Peter addresses some of that today. We'll get to it in a minute. But when we decide to, to not preserve ourselves, to not just become narcissistic sort of in our ideas, like it's all about us, we got to be careful about us. And if we begin to, to live altruistically, like for other people and for God alone, then something begins to change for us. And I'm leading up to what Peter's about to address today in verse 13 through 25. So if you have a Bible with you, you can follow along. 
If you don't have a Bible, it's all good. We'll put the words up on the screen here, and you can follow along there. I like to read the whole thing in its entirety just to give us some context, and then we'll go back and pick out a few words, okay? Verse 13. Therefore, right, speaking to all of this persecution and trials and sufferings that we're going to go through that is going to produce a faithfulness, Peter reminds us they're all temporary, right? And because of that, because of a living hope that we have in Jesus, he says, therefore, uh, here we start. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, he says. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also should be holy in all of your conduct. If you write in your Bible, underline that word all. That'll keep you up at night. Underline it, all. In all of your conduct, be holy. Since it is written, and this is Peter quoting Leviticus, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways, futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable, perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus was foreknown, right? This lamb without spot was foreknown before the foundation of the world. That is so huge for us. But he was made manifest in the last times for your sake. And hear me, for your sake, for my sake, before the foundations of the world were, were established, Jesus Christ, the willing sacrifice for us, gave himself over for us before we were even a thought in our parents' minds. You hear this. There's something precious in this. Before the foundation of the world, and he was made manifest in these last times for your sake, who through him we are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope might be in God. And having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all the flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that has been preached to you. Oh. All right, let's pray together and see if we can get anything done today, okay? Uh, God, we love you so much. We do give ourselves over to you. And I pray that earnestly, God, that we would be a people who are willing to surrender ourselves over to you for all your will for all of our lives. We thank you for our time together. We thank you that we can come together, we can worship you, we can sing declarations of our devotion to Jesus. But I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would come in and you would do a work in us, that you would challenge us, that we would be, we would be <laughs> convicted by that word, all, of our deeds. We'd think about those things, Lord, because all of this stuff matters, and we just pray that you would help us. God, I pray against the spirit of doing, the spirit of religion, right, and works that we have to somehow, like, perform for you. That's not at all the motivation of Peter's writing here. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you help us to see that fully and to understand it for our lives, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen.
He begins because of this persecution and all these trials that are coming around and because we want to live outward lives, not inward focused lives, that we want to bring glory to God and to love one another that he mentions, that we have to, we have to begin somewhere. And he says, therefore, um, prepare your minds. Some of the other translations, in particular the King James, King James translation says, gird up the loins of your minds, whatever that is, right? But the idea is like back in the day when they wore those long robes, they, before they were to take off to run or do any activity, they would sort of gird up their, their robes, they would tie them around themselves so they could run, that they would not be hindered by anything. And what Peter is arguing here is that if we're going to do this life that Christ has called us to, there's something that must take place first. It's prepare our minds. Now, let me ask you, um, what do you think that is? What, what do you think preparing our minds is? I, I'm here to tell you, I know what it is. I'm going to tell you, it's, it's be in the things of God. It is to, and I'm, I'm going to be very clear here, it is to be in the word of God. And I don't want to be that heavy-handed, Bible-thumping preacher guy, but I'm convinced of this more now than ever in all of my life. If I've ever had seasons of my life where I've drifted from God, don't raise your hand, but who's drifted from God, right? Whenever I found myself back to the word of God, my life begins to shore up on its course again. At all times, there's something special about this book above all other books. I don't care who J.K. Rowling is or Rowling and all the books that she's written or Tolkien or any of these other guys, Lewis, it doesn't matter. This book changes you. It's a spiritual book. It is the words of God. But Jeff, aren't they lost in translations? Yes, if you want to buy into all of that, but I'm here to tell you that the Holy Spirit uses those words to speak to you. If you don't believe me, you read it and you tell me. I dare you. Read it. Prepare your minds for action, he says. If this life is to be lived outwardly for the benefit of others and to the glory of God, then we must first prepare ourselves. And this gets all of a sudden like, oh gosh, here we go again. Jeff's going to give me a Bible reading plan. I'm going to have to devote myself. I'm getting next, up an extra 15 minutes every day to read my Bible for a little bit. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying carve out space for this. If we take very seriously the call that God's placed in our lives, then we must take very seriously the words that he uses to equip us to live this life. You ever feel run over in life? You're not prepared I love you, but you're not prepared. I, I feel very ill-prepared some days. And praise be to God, he calls me back to Scripture all the time. You have a lot of great friends who have a, lo a lot of really bad advice for you. Stop asking your friends what to do. Oh, stop it. You have a friend you have one who's eternal, who knows the ins and outs of everything. Stop looking internally what I should do next. Ask God. Seek his wisdom. Prepare your minds for this life, he says. Prepare your minds. Be sober-minded. And have fully, hope fully on the grace that was brought to us through the revelation of Jesus. Now that we understand who Jesus is. And then he says, as, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. This idea of obedience, I need you to hear this first, is that there's no amount of obedience, no amount of obedience can produce a believer in Jesus Christ. But anyone who believes fully in who Jesus Christ is 
will become fully obedient. Do you hear this? That your obedience can't make you a Christian, but when you become a Christian, it will make you obedient. And he says, be obedient as children. As children who, who love their father and want to serve their father and honor their father. I wish my teenagers would listen to me some days, right? But now that we're older, don't we wish we would have honored our parents more so back then? Do you, do you not also believe that we'll have a, a moment of sorrow in eternity when we will say to God the Father, we wish you would, I wish I would have honored you more when I was here on the earth? Yes. Peter knows this, and he's just, he's just pricking away at this thing, this foundation of our life that's built on something else. He says, no, honor God. Be obedient to God as children. And he says, don't be conformed into the passions of your former ignorance. That there is a conforming that is taking place in our lives all the time. Right? And what Peter is addressing is that, that our former ignorance, the way we used to live, the way we used to be driven before we've come to, come to faith in Jesus, for those of us who are Christians, he's saying, now that there's been a demarcation point in your life, let's not live this way anymore. Let's not follow those former passions. Just like you and I were born at one point on this earth, physically, we have been born again spiritually. In that moment, Peter is addressing, he says, don't go back to, work, to how you used to be. Because those things that you used to do, they are forming you and changing you, and they're making you look more like the world around you. And God doesn't want that. God is actually trying to conform us into something else. Can I tell you what it is? Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 that, that it is God the Father who is trying to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus. That there is a conforming, a forming, a setting, um, you know, a casting of our lives that's taking place. And it's either being cast to look like everybody else in the world. It, it looks like MTV, I'm just saying. Or something like this. Is that even a thing? I have no idea. right? But it's looking like that or it's looking like Jesus. There is no middle ground here. And, and, and Paul says that in Romans 8, that, Paul, that, that God, rather, is trying to conform you to the image of his son. And did you know this, that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God? Here's what God is doing. He's trying to make us look like Jesus, because when we look like Jesus, we look like him. We look like him. And through the midst of all the trials in our lives around the world, when, when, when people, our neighbors come to us and say, boy, I wonder what God looks like. I want them to say, it, I want to be able to say, it looks like me. God looks like me. God looks like you. Do you look like him? Because if we're, if we're not looking like him, then we're looking like something other. Can I be very honest with you? Those things offer no hope to the world. Jesus is the only thing that offers hope, and he's left us to be this salt, this light, this preserving thing in the world, and the only thing we can do is to look more and more like him through obedience. I hate this message. I hate it because I want to do my thing. I want to be a Christian and do my thing. I want to worship my way. I want to go to my church the way I like my thing, right? And yet continually God is talking to me about conforming to look more like him. And you know what he looks like? He looks like someone who serves other people who loves unconditionally, sacrificially loves, willing to give up my own passions and pursuits and desires for the love of other people, someone who's willing to go to any length for other people, or we can be people who are just very selfishly living for ourselves. 
be obedient to him, to be conformed into his image, to look more and more like him. And here's the crazy thing. This obedience to him, this conformity to look like him, it doesn't begin with our outward actions. See, that's where everyone goes automatically. Well, I have to, I have to look a certain way. I have to run a four-minute mile. I have to jump a, a six-foot high jump. I have to, it's not what God is saying. He's saying, first, prepare your minds. Do you hear this? That if we have any hope to be obedient, if we have any hope to be like God is on the earth, we must first be here. This influences everything that we do. Our actions will then get in tow from this change of our mind. This is what Peter is saying. And, and I love this because if we, if we just make it about actions, then we have the danger of doing what the Pharisees did in Jesus' day, which is to just look very pretty on the outside. We call it a veneer, a plastering of our lives that looks perfect on the outside because we really want to make, every, make sure everyone in the world sees how great God is, and yet on the inside we're filled with malice and deceit and wickedness and cruelty and sin. That's our lives, right? For everyone else, we're going to be perfect and holy. You know what this is called? It's called hypocrisy. It's gross and disgusting, and I'm imploring upon you, please stop doing it. Please stop. The trials that are coming your way, they hurt. Tell them it hurts. Tell them you struggle in your faith. Tell them all of these things. Jesus wrestled with God in the garden. You think you can't wrestle with him at Ikea or Walmart? Can't you, tell, you can't wrestle with him in your life? Yes, you can. Stop Try, stop trying to present yourself as something that you're not. Jesus never did. This is not, this is not works. This is not actions. This is, this is a setting of our mind differently. This is the renewing of the mind that the Bible talks about. All of this takes place so that we could be obedient to him, to be conformed into him. And then <laughs> this is where it really gets hard, verse 15. But as he, God who has called you, he is holy, then you should also be holy. Did you know of all of the attributes of God that is spoken about, written about in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God's holiness is first and foremost mentioned more than all of them combined. God's holiness is at the center of who he is. In fact, all of his other attributes, most scholars would agree, flow out of are found only in his holiness. His love, his righteousness, his anger... All of those attributes of God, they flow out of his holiness. Listen, God doesn't get angry like you and I get angry when we don't get our ways. God gets angry when his holiness is disturbed. His anger even looks different than us. And now this is the heavy lifting here. This is where Peter says, and we need to be holy like him. And at this point, I'm throwing in the towel. Anyone? Can't do it. There's no possible way you and I can do it. There's no way. I've been a Christian 20-some years. I take a couple years out because I was doing some dumb stuff. You know what I mean? Throw them back in. But 20-some years, I promise you, I've not, I've not hit this level yet. I'm not holy like God is holy. But I, I want to draw a distinction that Peter's making here. The word that he's using for, for be in verse 15, just as God has called, called you who is holy, you also should be holy. That Greek word is probably better translated become holy. You feel that? You feel that? He's not telling us that we, that we must be, and if we don't, we're failing. He's saying that you will become holy. That's the whole point of this thing, that we become like him. 
And in uh, verse 17, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. The time of our exile, just as a reminder, Peter is saying that we are, as Christians, we're sort of different people. We're peculiar people. We're living on this world, but are really our, our, our citizenry is in heaven. Like we're we're um, sojourners here on earth. We really belong in heaven. And what he's saying, while you're here, while you're here in your exile, while you're here living your life, to live your life with, with fear, reverence to God who's like a father who judges impartially. Here, here's all I want to say about this, and I'll move on. He's watching everything. He's watching everything. Again, this strikes at the feet of that issue of hypocrisy. Don't build a facade for other people because God sees it anyways. It's just, you just look like a moron. It's, that's what's happening. He's to live our, our lives this way. And then he, he says that we've been ransomed in verse 18. Knowing that you've been ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. This, this idea of ransoming, I mean, you can, I mean, you know what it means, like if someone's held you captive and they won't let you free unless someone pays your ransom. What, what he's saying here is that God has come to pay your ransom so that you could be set free. This is the idea of the gospel starting to move throughout this passage. See, the gospel sounds a little like this, is that you and I, we are born in iniquity. The Bible tells us that. You and I know how to sin from birth. You don't think babies um, are sinful creatures, but you let them grow up to be teenagers, and they will prove me right every time. They are sinful creatures. They're just cute sinful creatures, right? <laughs> They're so adorable. Look at their little black hearts. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> right? But that is true about them. And so because God sees that in us, he, he sends Jesus to rescue us from that by, by dying on a cross, being buried in a grave, and being raised back to to life. And through faith in that alone, we have the hope, the living hope of the resurrection as well, of eternity with God, of a restored relationship with God, all the stuff through Christ alone, not through our works, okay? All that stuff. See, we have to understand that what he's saying, that the ransom that Christ paid was his own life. Now, um, I'm not going to try to be too melodramatic here, but this truly knocked me out of my chair this last week when I saw this. I've never seen this before. He calls that the price that Christ paid for us was his precious blood. Have you heard that? That's his precious blood that was used to purchase us. Can I tell you something? Oh, please hear this today. He did not overpay for you. He did not overpay. He paid exactly what he thinks you're worth. And what does the Bible say about that price? It was precious to him. You, you, I am precious to him. Do you hear this? He didn't just go, well, I know you only want 50 bucks, but I'll give you 500 for him. He says, what will it take to get him back? Whatever it takes to purchase them back, to ransom them back, I will meet it. And he, he does that in Jesus Christ. Do you see this? I've never seen that before. And by the looks on your faces, I must not have explained it very well. Because for me, it's incredible. The purchase price is the exact amount of the cost. You hear that? 
of what we're, the amount that we're worth. So he does that, that for us. He purchases us, right, with, <laughs> with his blood. And through all of this in verse 21, we become believers in God who raised Jesus from the dead and it gave God glory. This is that part of the life where um, it'd be so easy for us to just try to live our own lives, our own way, um, and just try to eke through. Maybe God will be glorified a little bit in it, you know, maybe at the end of our days or something. But, but what God is, is really saying for us is that we, in everything that we do, we need to give glory to God. This is challenging, yes? This is, this is difficult. This is one of the most frightening things about my life. I've, I've been on my knees praying um, all morning this morning because I, I have no idea um, I have no idea how you guys are going to receive this. I have no idea how, how I'm going to walk away from this. Because I, I, when I hear a message like this, I always hear religion. I always hear try harder, do more. And what I need you to hear, what I need to hear myself is that you are so freaking precious. I would say the other word, but I'm trying to be holy before God. <laughs> See, there's hope for all of us. that we are so precious to him that he's willing to do whatever it takes to get us. And the life that he's called us to do is not insurmountable. It's doable. He's given us his Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us and to help us. And he's saying, if you just pay attention to this, if you don't shrink back, but if you live boldly for Christ, if you let the Holy Spirit just let your trials and your testimonies just proclaim the goodness of who God is, then people will take notice of me, he says. And God gets all the glory. You and I, when we try to say, man, I, I overcame that in my life, and like, you know, Saturday night's a whole other story. Well, I'm glad I don't live, thanks, praise be to Jesus, I don't live like that anymore, and you're a liar, because you still do. You just don't do it publicly anymore. Anyone. He's saying with the power of my Holy Spirit, you can change. This life can be available to you. You can become holy. And it's not for your sake. It's for his sake. It's for him. Oh, you guys, this is not our idea. We only exist because he wanted it. Why, would, why on earth would we make it about us? Why would we do that? It's for him. We exist for him always and forever. There's no other purpose for living, nothing. It's for him. And when we choose to say yes to him and, and to leave the carnal ways behind, the, old, the, the passions of our ignorant life behind, he says, we are giving God glory. We are becoming holy like he is. Do not hear this as religious speak of an insurmountable task that you'll never get there. Oh, I promise you, you can get there through him. He says, um, verse 23, 
He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. And he quotes this little poetic passage from Isaiah the prophet. He says, all flesh is like grass and all the glory like the flower of the grass. And the grass withers and the flower fails or falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. I see two sort of applications in this little passage right here for our lives. Number one, first understand that our physical lives are brief, right? I think uh, James calls it a vapor, right? You, you, you know, anybody vape in the room? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> you know people who vape. No one wants to admit it because we're in church. We don't do that sort of thing. But, you know, it's like they blow out that, that vapor, that smoke, and it's there a second, and then it's gone the next. And, and the Bible tells us that our lives are like that. And, and Peter's intimating that by quoting Isaiah, that all our physical lives are very brief. They might be glorious for a moment, right? But just like the, the flower on the, the grass fails and just like the grass itself withers, our lives are going to be um, no more. I hate to break this to you, but your great-grandkids won't remember you. They won't. <laughs> just like you don't remember your great-grandparents and or maybe you know their names, but you don't know them, and you don't think about them. And you, you see what I mean? Like, this is all going to fade. And because of that, he's saying, while we are yet exiles here, while we are living this life, let's, let's make it count. Let's, let's not try to build... Um, I think Joe talked about this last week, but let's not try to um, um, collect treasures here where, where moth and rust can come and destroy, but to store up treasures that are in heaven. He talked a little bit about that last week. Let's make this life be all about God's glory. Then this seemingly short, almost meaningless life will actually have meaning. You'll have a purpose in your life because it's not for me anymore, it's for him. So, all right, that's that. But the second side of this I see, and this is maybe where hope can come in, and this is where I just want to kind of finish today is that the grass that withers, I want you to picture this as your carnal desires. What do I mean by that? Your, your old desires, the way you used to live before you come to know Jesus. Hear me, that, hear me in this. The way you, you used to live, and now you're feeling conflicted because of Jesus. Now, I don't need to tell you what that is because you know what it is. There are things in your lives, there are things in, in my life that I wish I did not do. And the only reason I feel discomfort in them is not because anybody knows I do them. It's not like my wife lovingly saying, Jeff, stop being a jerk. It, she, well, she does, by the way. Um, but it's not because of that. It's because it is Christ inside of me who's given me new passions, new desires. And because I feel so conflicted, those, that old way of life, and here it is, is fading away too. Do you hear this? There is hope for you. You used to be more difficult than you are today. If you hold on to Christ, you will become even less difficult tomorrow than you were today. And on and on and go. The struggles in your life, if we gird up our minds, if we follow after Jesus, if we give him all the glory in everything, then this old way of living will slowly fade away. Don't you want that? I do. I want it for two reasons. I want it for the first, I want my kids to talk highly of me. When they wax nostalgic over the, the broken, dead body of their father, I want them to say good things 
about me? In all his faults, he was still a good dad. In all his faults, he used to this. In all, I want that for me. But maybe most importantly, I want to give God glory in it. Oh, my gosh. It says that we are forgiven because of the works that Christ has done. For many people in the room today, they need to understand that that everything that I'm saying to you is not to foster any sense of guilt or remorse. Because if you were to stand in the vantage point of God the Father, and you would go back to him and say, Lord, I'm so sorry I sinned against you. He would truly say to you, what sin are you talking about? See, because of the work that Christ has done for us, he has cleansed us of our sin, washed us white as snow as if we've never sinned before. So we can run back to God and say, God, I'm so sorry I've sinned. And he's going, what are you talking about? I don't see any sin in your life. That's the work that Christ has done. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are released from guilt and shame condemnation God forgives you through Jesus he's not asking you to remedy that which was broken he has already fixed it he's asking you now through the power of his Holy Spirit to live a life that's worthy of him to become holy like him and when you fail and in the difficulties don't fake it confess is what James, the brother of Jesus, says. Confess to your brothers. And God receives glory in all of this. I, um, I had a whole bunch more I wanted to say. Um, can we pray for a second? And... I want you to know right now exactly what's going through my mind. I feel like I failed. I feel like I could have preached a better sermon. <laughs> if only I'd have tried a little harder. If only I gave myself a few more minutes in study. If only I would have skipped volleyball game for my daughter and spent time studying, it would have been better. That's what I'm hearing in my voice right now. But I trust God and I have faith to believe that he'll use whatever shortcomings I have in my life to help other people. I've prayed that God would be helpful to us today. So in that regard, I'm going to pray for one specific person. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. The young woman who came in this morning, her name is Chastity. And her brother's on life support. She's terrified. She doesn't know what to do. And she came here and then she got called away because I think today's the day they're making the decision. If I, if I pray for her, will you join with me in that? Lord, I thank you for, 
for chastity, that she has found a place where she can find comfort. God, I pray that you would give her the wisdom that she needs to get through this part of her life. I pray that she learn to mourn well. I pray that you would be a comfort to her in times of sorrow and loss. I've got to pray for Laura in the room right now who's lost her mother this week. That she would also be comforted. pray for another friend of mine um, whose baby daughter has gone through a series of surgeries. God, that you would continue to show him your goodness, that he is a faith-filled Christian, and, and I know there are dark nights when he doesn't believe your goodness. God, I pray that you would remind us all of your goodness. God, I know uh, today's <laughs> Service was radically different than anyone's ever experienced here before. It's usually much more loud and much more energetic, and I just gotta, I don't have it in me today. God, I pray that we would just be, that we'd be good to you, that we would be willing to, to, to give you glory in our lives. I pray that we'd be desiring you first and foremost above every other thing in this world. And I pray for that. I pray that your Holy Spirit actually talk to people today. God, we love you. We trust you. And we know that you are good and we thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.